Well, you know, we got that one guy who uh, doesn't like when I talk about politics stuff, but just just a, a little bit at the beginning, and then we'll get on to the uh, to the jokes and the computers. But, uh, you know, there's a bunch of, like, crazy asshattery going on at the moment in the U.S., but I did see one little ray of light which reminded me of a story, which I relate, because I like stories that involve me, and this one's tangential. But, you know, I saw, I saw that uh, last night. Uh, Brandon is not here. We have an exciting uh, guest co-host, which, which uh, I'll have him introduce himself here briefly, but I saw that his old, uh, his old Maryland state up there in Baltimore, they were just like, fuck it, and tore down, or they didn't tear down. They removed and moved all of the uh, the rebel statues they had, so that's good. And they then did, they did four some like four major statues overnight. Yeah, wow. And, and then and then also there's I'll I'll link to the there's Axios, which is I don't know where that came from, but that's a surprisingly good news source. Uh, they they had a link to other cities around in the U.S. that are uh, fixing that problem as well. So that's great. But and and it reminds me of uh, I don't know. I was thinking hopefully to me this is hopeful, but it reminds me of a story back when my wife was the. Uh, the uh what do they call it i don't know the head of the uh a brand new planned parenthood clinic here in austin it was the i think the first and the only one that did as they say uh ambulatory abortions uh sort of like i think those are late term or something but it was a big deal to get that built and for a long time you can imagine being here in texas uh you, you need to get a foundation laid for a building and they couldn't for the uh for the uh they couldn't find anyone to come lay the foundation and i remember one night the next day i heard that there was just some, you know, some concrete construction manufacturing person. And he just came in the, the middle of the night and threw up some big lights and like laid down a foundation and left. And then the story I heard about him and he was he was basically like, fuck it. I'm not going to let all these people tell me what I can't do. I'm going to go lay a foundation for that, which is like not the purity of spirit that you might want to have for moral issues. But it does show that like there's people who like know and can do the right thing. And uh, we'll see yeah. if we can lay some more foundations out there. Well, I, I did find it strange that they had, you know, monuments to the Confederacy up in the Northeast. But mm -hmm. uh, yes, <laughs> well, as as we know, Matt Ray, Baltimore is in New England. <laughs> well, why don't you uh, why don't you introduce yourself, guest co-host? Well, hello, I'm I'm Andrew Clay Schaefer. I've been on this show before. You have, you know, I, he, I got, he, you I had got to remind me once. Yes. Count off the bench. That's right. Yep. That's right. It's plenty warm, and the heat will stay there until you can get back. So it'll be it'll be dandy. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, I was looking back, episode thirty-five or something. I forget. That's a long I think it was time episode, ago. Episode fifteen. Fifteen, even better. If I, if I recall correctly. See, Andrew's good to have around because he deals in facts. That's uh, which is something that we sorely need around here. But uh, people we'll... don't like that. People do not like that. <laughs> no. facts yeah, are... I like to make my own facts. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I prefer the lowercase f facts, not the uppercase f facts. Those are those are not cool. But we'll see. This -O -O your, your challenge, Andrew, is to match and or exceed the cynicism that Brandon usually brings. So I think that's... listeners, place your bets now. We'll see what happens towards the end. It's it's like you have a team and you got the point guard and the center and you pass the ball and then I just dunk it. Exactly. There you exactly. go. <laughs> I, I'm just I'm just loving loving the softballs up for or wait softballs rock sport. Um, yeah. <laughs> we, need some, we need some we need some war metaphors. Yes. Yeah. Oh man, I, I, I'm I was, sure you have some clip art of, of a Gatling gun somewhere. I was I was putting together a uh, a presentation earlier this week and. Um, I was looking for a metaphor of like, I'm not talking about software architecture. I'm talking about like, you know, enterprise architecture. 
And uh, for some reason, I, I wanted to get like a crosscut of something. And I found this excellent crosscut of like a turret on a battleship. And, and then, you know, you would you would obviously, well, not obviously, but you would then use the cross-section of like an aircraft carrier. And I was thinking like, I don't want another war metaphor. So I just found, you know, a house blueprint. And, and of all places, I found a... Uh, this awesome 3D rendering of looking at the city planning behind Auckland or something, and that uh, that was much better. Yeah, it was fancy. It was public domain yeah. in the uh, the Vimeo, and uh, even know. better. And speaking yeah, of, here's I... my my first self promotional thing. I don't know if I'll be able to get this out in time, but if you get a time machine, you can go see me give the full version of the talk I was doing at the Austin OpenStack meetup tomorrow night about uh, what's what's the deal with DevOps and enterprise architects, and uh, you can see that Auckland video. There you go. Yeah, so, I, I I try to cram in as much um, uh, Soviet era uh, sci-fi graphics. Mm. That's that's my go-to for clip art these days. That's that's a good um, source. I found a rich vein because it's so like WTF. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that. Uh, all right. Well. Uh, so you know. Uh, I'm I'm not always all into uh, I'm into self promotion, but perhaps I should be more into company promotion. But I think there's a pretty legit thing I have to uh, to hustle here, and 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 it helps that my fellow pivotal person Andrew is here as well. It it, it adds uh, it adds some heft to 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 I don't know what I was going somewhere with that. Anyways, last week uh, we published uh, four white papers uh, on on uh, on basically doing continuous integration and continuous delivery, or as I call it nowadays, a build pipeline, which is a lot easier than saying that. And on microservices and, and on don't fall asleep on this, on PCI compliance. Actually, you know, pretty important. Yes. But, but it, <laughs> and, and then also on uh, the, the uh, kind of something that's a huge enabler of, of what Pivotal Cloud Foundry does and a lot of cloud platforms that run on Cloud Foundry, and that is Bosch. The uh, configuration management and provisioning and the magic little uh, so-called scary clam. But these, uh, these, are, these are good for papers. And, you know, you can Johnny Legion yourself into it or you could be legit and uh, put your actual info. But they're each about, like, I don't know, 10 to 20 pages or so. And uh, they've got pretty good overviews of those topics. And, you know, of course, they're interested in you being interested in Pivotal because them. But they give you uh, kind of a nice, a nice, they've got a good mix of diagrams and things you would want to do with those. And uh, I, think, I think they're definitely well worth looking. And, you know, I especially mention that. Because if you're one of the people who is, is interested in our software-defined talk members-only white paper exegesis podcast, as you should be, you definitely like white papers, and you would like these papers. They're, they're, they're good. You should also go to the Patreon account and sign up for that. We just released our, our fourth episode on the, uh, the Gartner application infa- – no, the, the Gartner PAS hype cycle 2017 copyright trademark, all that kind of stuff, which was uh, fun to look over. But anyways, check out those white papers. That's that's something right. fun for you. So meanwhile, I uh, if you go listen to the pivotal conversations we had this week where we talk about those white papers, you can see that I was mistaken. There actually is not Amazon reInvent this week. It's just an Amazon nope. summit in uh, New York City. And there was uh, there was there was uh, what's what's Jeff's name? Is it Wah over there? There was there was Wah. another another obvious uh, oh, wait, another Jeff. Yeah, yeah, that guy can type as as I like to say. He's he He's he puts out a lot a staff, of output. Right? Yeah, you would, you would imagine so. But he has a great overview post going over all sorts of announcements that they had. But uh, how, how about you, gentlemen? What, uh, any, anything that, that you took a shining to that they, they announced or went over? Um, I'm still kind of digging through the, the Macy announcement. Um, 
you know, this is a, a new kind of machine learning uh, anomaly detection thing that they've got going on for your account. Um, I I had a conversation uh, last week before this whole announcement came out with a, a, a monitoring company that was like, oh, yeah, we were applying, you know, advanced AI to your systems. And then I started drilling the guy on it because, you know, I have a little bit of monitoring background. And eventually I got him to kind of admit that they were just doing uh, whole winners, <laughs> which if you're familiar with, with uh, like anomaly detection, that's just, you know, you create a curve that fits your usual data. And then, mm. you know, you get that, that nice, you know, sign curve for your daily traffic or whatever. And the things that pop out of the sign curve are, are your anomalies. So, you know, 2 a.m. on a Tuesday, you don't usually get a lot of traffic. So if you see some spike, you know, there's something crazy going on. And so I, I, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm not I'm not saying that about Amazon service here, but there's starting to be an AI washing of products. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm worried about that because, you know, I, I did a little bit of AI back in my school days. And so I kind of kind of know, like, some of these things aren't really AI. They're just, you know, really great versions of grep. Right. Mm. Yeah. But uh, they're a little too anyway. artificial, is what you're saying. <laughs> no, no, there's nothing smart about them. They're just <laughs> brute forcing. You know, they're just brute forcing the sorts of searches that you were doing before. Um, you know, and, and and it's a it's a it's not like a there's not like you know oh you know a, a very shiny line between you know what is AI and what's machine learning and what is you know just uh, you know good regexes, um, but uh, you know. I just thought I'd throw that out there, but you know, this is interesting. Um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of monitoring and account management tools out there specifically for Amazon. Um, I was talking to a, uh, uh, a customer the other day who, you know, they're like, well, we're looking at, you know, these couple vendors for this, but they only do Amazon. And mm -hmm. I was like, wow, you know, if you're, if you're one of those companies that puts everything into Amazon, you know, they could roll something out like this and just you know, eat your market. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, but, it, it, uh, it, did, it did seem like, I mean, in addition to uh, one of the, uh, I'm imagining the uh, the internal briefing memo, the arranging of the themes, the stories. It did seem like a big one was, uh, you know, AI and machine learning, whatever all that is. And there was, there's actually like an, um, not uncharacteristically good, but uncharacteristically sort of, helpful and in-depth interview with with one of the the aws execs where he was kind of going over you, you could kind of peel it back and see some kind of like strategy and positioning thinking that they have and he talks about like ai stuff here and there but really what's interesting is the more kind of like his sort of like posture and way he thinks about uh the the market in it and and then also like it seems like the other theme was um other than a few you know as you see in the app store all the time, we're always updating our app to make it better. There's always a little, some announcements like that, but there were some pretty, what I would call enterprise themes to things as well. Like, you know, there's a, what was it? Your, your hardware encryption key sort of thing, which I mean, you don't have to be an enterprise to care about that, but that's pretty cool for enterprises. And then there was also even like a uh, enterprise migration dashboard tracking thing. And, and oh, yeah. my favorite, I love this kind of uh, tool is the, um, thing that scans your computers to tell us why you should be giving us money. 
So it also has the scanning thing that will like somehow scan and assess all the things you have and talk about how to migrate, which which is great, right? Like that's a good tool to have. But it was uh, there, there's a good theme of uh, just further along mainstream sort of stuff going on. Did you notice yeah. anything you like there, Andrew? Uh, I didn't. I didn't really pay attention to that announcement so much as uh, I just feel like they're always going to be announcing stuff and. The machine learning stuff's interesting. I'd rather focus on – has anyone ever heard of the AI winter? I think mm. we're on the third or fourth one now. <laughs> you think we're in the winter though? No, uh-huh. no we're, def- we're definitely in the summer right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. But you're it saying is, winter's coming. <laughs> it is the fourth, the fourth AI summer. Yeah. And I don't know how mathy we get on this show, but uh, we could we could do a – we can dissect why Holt Winters doesn't always give you the best answers, um, depending on what kind of problems and, and questions. Oh you yeah, ask. yeah. Well, well no, let, I, let's 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 just get into it. So we'll whip out a whiteboard, right? <laughs> now, now, first of all, first of all, what is this? Uh, what is this seasonal AI thing? I, like, how do the how do the, how does the metaphor line up? Is summer good or bad or winter? Like, I don't know. What, what's what's so the story? If you, Google, if you Google AI winter, you're going to probably run into a number of articles and at least a Wikipedia entry about the the cycles of hype around AI. And the, the first AI winter, I mean, this goes way back. It was all around AI and list machines. Back when list machines were a thing, you know, before, before everyone started running stuff on the garbage we call Unix, uh, there was these elegant, elegant systems that you could, you could basically program the, the kernel and Lisp all the way up and down and everyone was excited about the future, and we we're going to build these these intelligent systems. And then it didn't materialize, and yeah. all that stuff, you know, probably in some sense prematurely was kind of abandoned. And then, you know, we we have to we have to relearn the same lessons every every generation. Every generation has to re-implement Corba. I think is what it comes down to. So, so, so this is yeah. not the totality of what you're saying, but but that that so like maybe Christmas of the AI winter or those never-ending series of funny robot videos Matt Ray's is always finding, right? Where the robots try to open a door or uh, pick up a box and damage I mean, everything. That, that, that is that yeah, that is the highlight of every winter. It, I is Christmas and, and and back when I was a. Uh, a wee computer science student uh, back in the days. Um, I actually, I, I guess I was in the, uh, looking at the, the Wikipedia article in the, the 90s, the quiet disappearance of the fifth generation computer projects goals. So Ooh, fifth yeah, generation. Guess, yeah, yeah. Studying, studying up on like, um, I took a whole bunch of national, uh, natural language processing classes. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think one of your old, uh, with, with, I, that might have been where we met Cote. Um, a friend, uh, your ex-girlfriend was a yeah. friend. Was a friend of mine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she she anyway. was all into that NLP stuff and like telling the robot yeah, to take yeah, the third yeah. door on the left. Like that was that seemed like exactly. seems like there were decades of professorial people who were trying to get that damn little machine to take the third door on the left. Just like, could you just right, open right. that goddamn door, right? Like, and, you're, and then you're like, and now I'm going to say it in Spanish, and it just breaks, right? Um, <laughs> But but you know so so you know I got a little disillusioned on that and then you know went off into the industry and, and worked for a while but then when I came back for my masters I, I I had some AI classes and we were all into the uh, 
the 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 huge data sets you know the stuff the the Sergey Brin papers out of uh, out of Stanford and and you know that was kind of like the next the next hype cycle you know the the wave coming on in and now we're still on that same wave right we're we're mm. still in you know it, it's not winter yet um, but we're on it, it's it's kind of that Gardner hype cycle thing where we're on this you know hey there's a huge amount of AI going on right now people are getting VC for it. You know, they're, they're putting out, uh, you know, their machine learning platforms. Maybe it, you know, maybe it'll peter out. Maybe there'll be the whole, uh, you know, um, trough of disillusionment coming out. You know, I don't think we're there yet. I, I think we're still early on the curve. But, uh, yeah, I mean, AI has kind of gone through this like five or six times or, you know, four or five times, yeah. I guess. Yeah. You know, I, I, it's, there's it's, definitely new capabilities. I, I think oh, yeah. there are new capabilities. The way that we're able to... One, the machines are just faster. So a lot of this stuff that didn't really work when the machines were slower back when you were doing your master's degree or whatever, all of a sudden you can you can rub some TensorFlow on that, right? Spin it up in your in your you know favorite cloud provider, or go straight to some of the you know me- machine learning services that are being provided, um, you know whatever Google, some of the stuff that Amazon just announced, and you can get you can get meaningful results. But I don't know if we're I, I really think what you're going to see and where you're going to see people monetize this is not trying to build generalized AI solutions. It will be people that have domain expertise. So what's what I feel has happened in, in really the last couple of years is you needed less and less domain expertise in the machine learning to be able to apply some of these tools to the domain that you were an expert in. Right. And now we're we're at a point where the 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 building of models and the leveraging of those tools is more art than science and though the one of the benefits and also the downfalls of these tools is they will always give you an answer and you might not understand what that answer means and it might be meaningful or might not i mean obviously watching things like AlphaGo and some of the stuff that's happened with the now now the now the ais are starting to beat people at the you know Dota. whatever yeah. all, the, all the different games and and people thought that was probably decades away so there's definitely some interesting stuff that's evolving but you you can't you can't just take whatever answer something gives you necessarily without also understanding the the domain and being yeah. an expert in that and so i think you're going to see these expert systems arrive in verticals where someone who who captured whatever kind of work that they were doing and and build that as a package that can solve that problem, but it's not going to be general. You can't just no. rub AI on stuff and expect it. <laughs> and, and I think Amazon's got a good, you know, a good domain to carve out. And, and you know, they've got, you know, we, we have better general tools to make, you know, expert systems today. And what they're building with Macy is probably, you know, a great candidate, right? Um, I, yeah, I just... Just uh, it, it was just funny to see that juxtaposition between the, the monitoring company I talked to and, and Amazon's announcement because I you know I, I do think Amazon is probably you know this is going to be useful and it's going to continue to get better because they have amazingly huge amounts of data to feed into the system to look for anomalies and you know they can continue to train it up and it'll get better and better over time. Um, throwing you know some one one company's stuff at a general. Uh, you know, a, a general purpose monitoring thing might not give us results. I would expect. I mean, in some ways, Macy's actually a good example because what 
what they've done, at least you know what I can see from the little bit of reading, is is taken this one specific problem and apply the fact that they have the data and they have these models and and they're going to get a good result. And and you can fault all these cloud providers for different things, but I think you can see a lot of real customer centric focus in Amazon. So I would I would expect that just like almost everything else that they've done, that they'll see they'll see people use this and get value from it. So, so uh, you know, well, first of all, it's not like I might be some sort of like a professional marketer or anything, but uh, someone should come up with a new name other than AI that's better than like brute force AI or something. But, you know, because I don't think machine learning really works, but there should be a name for this sort of like uh, the fall of AI to be seasonal. I don't know, maybe the sp- whatever it is that's sort of like this application of stuff that... Uh, that isn't that isn't like AI like we imagined in uh, Matt Ray's clip art archive. That's uh, something slightly different. But but it's so not exactly Blade Runner, right? So, so be, because we tease this out. So what is this? Uh, what is this curve thing? Give, give us give us a spiel on that. Holt Winters. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's not even AI. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you were like, you know, we could discuss why uh, that kind of curving is bad or whatever. But like, what? So, what, what's the deal with that curve, and why? What is it? Why is it a bad application in this instance? Oh, it's not necessarily that hold winners is a bad application. I don't know exactly what um, he was, what what Matt was talking about, or or who he was talking to. But people have tried to apply Holt Winters to anomaly detection especially in operations and monitoring a number of times. It's, it's basically you're taking and constructing, numerically constructing the curves and, and what those you know, weighted averages and, and um, derivatives would look like, and then using changes in, in what you'd expect them to be um, to, to, to trigger some alert or trigger you know, some anomaly detection. So, so it's sort of like a, uh, what would you call it, a dynamically figured out baseline, and then you figure out like what, what derivation you want to freak out about from it, and I imagine that updates on its own or like something like that? Yeah, pretty so, much. So if you, yeah, so the way I would, I would reframe that just slightly is a baseline is going to be a straight line probably, where what you're getting with this kind of model is some notion of the curvature and, or, or how, and, and especially with respect to cyclical things, that there's going to be this thing and you expect this thing to go up and you expect this thing to be this thing, whatever, and instead of just like a weighted average that will give you like the flat line, it's going to, it's going to give you the, the kind of some of the characteristics of the curves that you'd expect. But then, you know, especially if you're in, you just, you just have to use all this stuff with uh, some context for what you're doing. So if, if you're talking about you know, managing websites or whatever, which a lot of us have spent, you know, too much of our lives doing. And then all of a sudden there's a promotion or you get written up on a thing or you get on Reddit or whatever, you know, at least to be slash dot, then, then some of this stuff just goes out the window and you, you're just back to, you know, looking at what's going on and trying to figure it out. Cause, cause there's, there's whatever cyclic thing you have to deal with. And then there's all this other stuff that contributes to that. And not, not all those things are, it is it is an anomaly. It's going to detect it, but is it going to for all the math that you do? And this is this is also where some of the AI discussion comes in. It's like sometimes the five dollar solution is going to be just as valuable to you as the million dollar solution. Mm. So so for all the math that you're doing to to solve this problem, did you actually get a better answer than you could have with you know simpler math or simpler model? Yeah, yeah. Good old ROI on AI. 
Could could we just gotten a, a room full of people on typewriters? See what happened. Not 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 that I'm against just you know gratuitously implementing mathematical models for for the sake of implementing them. Sure, for gaming yeah, purposes I, only. <laughs> Entertainment. I mean, purposes. There, there 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 does seem to be. I mean, there's a ton. You know, we get Brandon back on sometime to talk about how there's a crazy amount of monitoring, and it's hard to differentiate why you should go overboard with some of this stuff um because you know so much of it is going to not be the the detection of anomalies but actually how you remediate it and what you do in response but uh yeah i mean the five dollar solution is is often you know better than throwing you know watson at it or whatever yeah Um, but yeah 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 I, i mean not not to get into a whole like monitoring conversation but i think all three of us as as Andrew was saying, in addition to web stuff, we've spent a lot of our lives around monitoring. And, uh, you know, like so many things in computers, it's just like, I, I don't fucking know, right? It's complicated. <laughs> it's just like every, every day is a new adventure in monitoring to figure out what, well, uh, uh, what works well. Yeah. I, I, well, this this kind of goes to the core of the expert system thing, which is – at some point, you have to get a human involved. You know, what's the mean time between getting someone involved and, and getting an expert involved in solving this? And for the foreseeable future, you know, and there's going to be there's going to be things that make progress, and the and the notion of this is going to keep moving up and up the stack. But for the most part, we're not we're so far away from being able to just set something up, turn it on, and walk away and expecting it to behave that that. There's going to be a lot of people working on computers for a while. Yeah, which yeah. is nice. That's true. I mean, we even have to have someone come out and fix our sprinkler system like once or twice a year, and that you know that should just work at this point. It's pretty straightforward. No, no AI in sprinkler system. Maybe that's the issue. We'll hook it up to uh, to some Amazon thing. It'll figure out what Small to do. startup opportunity. <laughs> exactly. It'll every month it'll deliver a sprinkler system to your door, and then and then your family <laughs> will enjoy installing it. <laughs> And then it'll just brick. You know, eventually, we'll just end up. You know, you don't pay your subscription. We brick your sprinkler system. So you just have you know, fifteen hundred dollars buried in the ground. Yeah, we should be careful though, Matt Ray. They might become a sponsor of this podcast in in the future. <laughs> well, yes, so, yes. I, I, I'm not certain this is topical or relevant, but I heard two funny stories from friends about um, automation projects. Mm. And and one was. They they did all this stuff to hook it up so they could you know use the the voice on it was Alexa or one of the I can't remember if it was Google Home or whatever but they did some API thing and then they could turn their lights off and on and then there was the short outage and they couldn't turn their lights off and so they're like mm, maybe we shouldn't do that yeah <laughs> and then the other one was they, they did a project to make it so they could order pizza and then their four year old figured out how to do that. So that was fun. <laughs> yeah. That's right. You got you got like uh, twenty pizzas and fifty boxes of toilet paper. I'm just like, where did these come from? <laughs> yeah, my, my my home automation projects all ended when everything worked for me, but I was the only one who could use it. And then you know the spousal acceptance factor of you know not being able to turn on lights when she enters a room that'll <laughs> that'll seek you every time. <laughs> so so clearly the future is bright. That's right. Or, or if the power goes out, it's dark. Who knows? <laughs> uh, well, uh, we'll do a little mid-rolly action here. We don't, we don't have our, uh, our Datadog sponsorship uh, sort of sorted out yet. But if you have any questions about them or anything you want to know about, keep, keep sending those over or start 
more operationally and, and we'll uh, we'll send it back to them and then eventually uh, we'll start doing our, our little uh, data dog ads. But in the meantime, uh, we've got there's a couple of discounts for a DevOps days as usual. If you want to go to DevOps days Nashville, which is October 17th and 18th, I'll uh, I'll be giving a talk there. Uh, a keynote, if that's anything. And if you use the code 2017 Nash DevOps Days, you can get $25 off. Now, for longtime listeners, you might realize that no one has ever said the dollar amount that you get off. They always say the percentage. So that goes on your Laffer curve or whatever. Uh, and then also, if you want to go to uh, DevOps Days Kansas City, they have a code, SDT2017. That's September 21st and 22nd. I'll be there as well. Um, I think I'm giving a talk there. I should figure that out. Uh, and uh, like I mentioned, I'll be at the OpenStack meetup. And then finally, Andrew and I will be uh, come the first week of December, right before Christmas, just get a few little work items in. You, can, you should come over to uh, Spring One Platform in San Francisco. It'll be great. You'll hear all sorts of stuff relevant to your interest if you listen to this podcast. And uh, you can use the code S1P200 underscore Cote. I hope you're taking notes because I'm only going to say that once. <laughs> Go to, get, to the show notes, That's please. right, to, to get $200 off. And yes, more realistically, you can go to the show notes, uh, which is at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 103. And you can find the codes and links for this. And there's a few other things I uh, I didn't mention in there as well. But how about yourself, Matt Ray? What's what's the Matt Ray fall <sighs> winter tour in Asia pack looking like? Go to the show notes, people. Um, <laughs> I, essentially, I, I, do, I do an event a week. Oh, yes. yeah. uh, tonight, tonight is the uh, Sydney Chef Meetup. Uh, next Tuesday, I'm doing the uh, Sydney Cloud Native Meetup at the, the Pivotal offices here in Sydney. So oh, really? Well, la da us. About, yeah, some uh, developer services and, and that kind of fun stuff with Habitat. And, uh, yeah, Sydney, the North Sydney user group, and on and on and on. Uh, and uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be at the Canberra uh, AWS Australian Public Sector Summit. So that's my August. Public then, sector. Yeah, more events to follow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think what's going to happen, Matt Ray, is, well, I don't know, since it's all this regional stuff, you might make executive platinum this year or next year, right? I, I will. And, and then the issue becomes, unless you keep that amount of travel up, it's kind of a letdown because you're enjoying the executive platinum, <laughs> uh, right? Yeah. And then it's like late summer and you're like, holy fuck, I'm not going to be able to renew executive platinum. My life yep. is over. And uh, yeah. it's, so, it's a, bit, a bit of a disaster. If, if you care about those kind of things. So I, I, I do have some advice on this subject. Uh -huh, um, uh -huh. So, so I, I made the Platinum on American last year on about six months of travel. And I'm over here in Australia, and Qantas is the one world partner. But they don't really give you full credit for your flights. So every mm. domestic flight in Australia, I get like 250 miles. You know, and it doesn't matter if I'm flying like to Perth, which is a six-hour flight. Um. So, you know, I'm taking, and, and I'm flying, you know, once or twice a week. Uh, and so these Qantas flights are like 250 miles, 250 miles, 250 miles. You know, and then I'll like fly to Singapore and I'll be like, oh, here's 6,000. <laughs> um, so, so my advice is if you find yourself moving to Australia and you're an American customer, uh, just, just bite the bullet and switch to Qantas a year. I'm sure they'll do some sort of matching. You know, my, my, my American status gets me into the Qantas lounges, but by this yeah. time, I'd be in that like, you know, secret chairman of the board lounge. That would be nice. Yeah, you'd be yeah, you'd be you'd be in like the koala lounge or something, but you're just hanging out with the kangaroos or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The road lounge. Yeah. Um, no, but software uh, software defined travel tips. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so do you do you have anything you want to hustle here in the mid roll, Andrew? 
You got anything uh, anything interesting? I'm trying not to make platinum on any airlines. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm platinum on two of them right now, but uh, I think I'm going to be in Singapore in October. Oh, I'll be there. Yeah, I don't I don't have my uh, I don't have a calendar in front of me, but I'm doing an agile thing. I'm doing a couple DevOps days before the end of the year. Spring one platform, obviously that kind of stuff. So there's a uh, yeah conferences they happen. Yeah. You, yeah. You're going to, uh, what is it, DevOps Day Singapore? That's correct. I will see you there. And, and, and PowerShell Asia. Same week. PowerShell. <laughs> like, they, there's a conference around PowerShell. You know yeah. it. As, as I always like to interject here and show off by name dropping, that Snover guy, everything worked out. Good hire. Yeah. That was a good yeah. hire. So, uh, it's ba- speaking of, coincidentally, so you pointed this out, Matt Ray, so I'm hoping you can, uh, as I like to say, eludicate this. But uh, So, Microsoft is acquiring Cycle Computing. Now, I feel like the last time I, I might be totally wrong, which is highly likely, but the last time I encountered Cycle Computing was back when I was doing cloud strategy, and they seemed to come mm-hmm. up. I mean, they're, yeah. like a, they're like an HPC company or something, right? Like, what, what's the yeah. deal with them? They, they, they were everyone's, like, if you needed a keynote to talk about cloud at scale, um, they were a great company to have in because they, they uh, so, so what cloud, what Cycle was doing was taking traditional HPC, high-performance high computing workloads, HPCs, you know, high-performance computing, this kind of stuff like uh, g- genomic research, uh, pharmaceutical stuff, um, you know, big computational models. The things that, you know, the universities who have the supercomputer 500 um, list, you know, the thing, the workloads that they were tackling, they were taking those and moving them into AWS. And so I think in like 2014 or so, we had a, a keynote from them at, at ChefConf, and they talked about, um, you know, taking this workload that uh, the, the data center, to build a data center for it was going to cost $20 million. Mm. But they rented... I don't know, like 14 hours on AWS of you know, 20,000 cores or 50,000 cores or something like that. And so for you know, $15,000 an hour, they were able to do you know, this, this, this project that was going to cost you know, $20 million. Um, you know, so it, it went from, from, from the CapEx to the OpEx, and you, know, you drop an order of magnitude. And you know, when you're done with your workload... Uh, you don't still own a data center, which is kind of nice if you know if you're, um, you know if you're in, in this business. So you know, essentially, you could get as much compute as you needed um, for a short time and, and uh, get your project done and move on. So that was the that was cycle, and you know they uh, they they you know they at first were all on AWS, and you know each year their talks would get you know bigger and bigger. The first year would be you know twenty thousand cores and then fifty thousand. It would be you know, a ten-hour project and then a twenty-hour project, and you know. So I, I, I talked with them a couple times, and they were a really inter- interesting company because they they didn't take any VC. Um, you know, they were all like self-financed. Um, a bunch of really uh, folks, and um, you know, Microsoft a couple years ago approached them about you know onboarding some of their customers onto Azure. So you know, they redid all their tooling. Um, for Azure, and then I think they added Google uh, at a later point. Um, and and so you know, anytime that you know you need a, a, a supercomputing conference or HPC conference, these guys you roll them out to be you know the the 
the keynote because it's it's a really compelling story. It's really different from the, the rest of HPC. You know, the HPC is kind of a a really different market. Like like if you think about you know if you think about open source, um, and I've, I've kind of made this comment before. They're 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 kind of like three different worlds. You know, you've got the HPC people who have all their own exotic, strange tools for doing, you know, their own libraries, their own provisioning, you know, they've got rocks and MPI and all that stuff. And then you've got like the big data guys, you know, the Hadoop and whatnot. They've got all their own tools where they reinvent the world. And then you have, have like, you know, the, the big web people who have yet another set of tools. And, you know, they, there's a lot of overlap in what they deliver, but not a lot of communication between them. The, yeah. The different yeah. I, I, I mean, to your point, I, I remember it, pretty much every time I've looked at HPC, I'm just like, "Fuck that!" I'm going to look at something else. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, dis, despite the fact, I mean, I, I, I obviously I joke, you know, it does, it does seem to have, uh, it always has interesting applications, and in, you know, like uh, petroleum and bio stuff, and I'm sure yeah. other sciences. But it is, uh, you know, it reminds me, uh, they, you know, Microsoft also acquired this. Uh, speaking of, like this New Zealand company, Green Button, back in 20. 2014 that did i think if i remember their history they grew out of like peter jackson needing to render shit for his movies <laughs> or something like that That's about right. and so, so i remember they were like big into rendering and and you know for a cloud thing just to be all like business oriented it makes sense it's sort of like so how might we consume compute hpc looks good and so uh yeah that is uh i don't know Se- seems like seems like a good fit yeah so we'll see so how what happened to Greenbutt? Yeah, I, I'm, I don't know. yeah. I'm reading through this press release from 2014, and it's like I never heard of that again. Yeah. Um, well, maybe yeah, maybe it uh, got integrated somewhere, but uh-huh. but yeah. So 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 what Amazon uh, what uh, Amazon what Microsoft did was they went out and acquired Cycle. Um, you know the, who they've got a lot of uh, you know name brand you know uh, pharmaceutical companies mostly are their customers and you know they've got a lot of big customers on all the different clouds and they've said that they're going to continue to support you know their tooling on other platforms but you know that you know if if you're talking to cycle about bringing the workloads in that that uh you know microsoft will give you the inside deal on 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 putting that on azure so you know it's a good way to onboard big workloads mm, inside deal now andrew didn't you work on like like bio computer stuff for a while i did i did did, did you do any and hpc was, uh... stuff <laughs> am, am i talking on my ass andrew of course <laughs> <laughs> so so like like you yeah, know just is... if you give us like a, a normal who normal in the sense that you know you're 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 doing hpc stuff like what uh like what are you looking for like like what does the cycle look like like you got some I don't know proteins you need to fold. Is that a thing? And then you've got you've got your cluster. Like what's what's kind of like the cycle of stuff that you go through? What's it look like using an, an a, a, you know a big old cluster? Well, we already talked about how these are delivering very similar similar pieces, and now it's sort of coming full circle. Where if you look at what TensorFlow is giving you, it's basically very similar to what you'd want to do to 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 utilize an HPC model or, or to build and, and, you know, execute and calculate these things. So what, what happened and, and for whatever reason, these, these communities were, were separate and didn't collaborate. Although you'd often see 
you know, some HPC people show up and be interested at the OpenStack um, events and, and vice versa. But basically, modern science is mathematics, right? So you're building these these models, and every time every time you you want to make the the model more accurate, you can you could just increase the grid, right? Or, or or increase the resolution of the grid, and that's gonna that's gonna if you're in three dimensional space, then you just increase the number of calculations you have to do by n cubed. And 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 you can see how the these things will consume massive amounts of, of computational resources. So the the thing that's happening with TensorFlow now, which is basically on, on some level, it's it's you know getting a lot of uh, attention for the machine learning stuff, but it's also a fairly generic way to do um, calculations with any sort of mathematics matrix and, and tensor model. So you can see some of that stuff converging. That that just left everyone speechless. <laughs> well, I'm I'm uh, I, I I was so stupefied that I couldn't find my way to the unmute button, which often happens. I need I need to uh, figure that out. But uh, yeah, no, no, that makes sense. Now, now I, I want I want you to as as usual fashion when you and I talk, Andrew and Matt Ray can can add in this too. Tell me tell me if I have my correct simplistic caveman understanding. So when you do an HPC thing, you've got some data and you write some code. And your code in some sort of like parallel way like does something with the data, right? But it's you kind of like have to write some code to do some sort of analysis over it. And you just like have all this computational stuff. But, but actually it, or, or is it something a lot different? Of the workloads it's not it's not data. You're generating data mm, mm. from models. There's certainly there's certainly things where people do data analysis, but what I'm talking about is and, and you're starting to see some of this be validated, you know, with the sensor arrays and the IoT and all this stuff's converging. But but basically, you you can imagine. So what I did um, work on before was was finite element analysis of bioelectric fields in the human torso. And so what you're going to do in a finite element finite element analysis is you're going to build a tessellation, a, a triangular mesh of the of the whole torso. Mm-hmm. And then you're and then you're going to solve Maxwell's equations on each of those little triangles and the points where they share. You're going to solve those simultaneously. So you build this great big matrix, and then and then do math on it. And then where data comes in is is for the boundary conditions. So you're going to set some. Usually you're going to be solving some partial differential equation on that thing. And this is this is. Slightly different, but the same if you're doing computational fluid dynamics or whatever. It's basically you're gonna you're gonna solve some set of equations on some subset of the domain, and then set the the boundary conditions of each of those domains so that they're equal across the the thing. And then you can set the the second derivatives and the first derivatives or whatever as, as far as you want to go um, to to try to get the model um, accuracy. And and then and, 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 then, so and then so so in that example, and I don't know if it translates to others, you're I guess you're doing to to your point. It's not just like data analysis, but what you're doing is you're you're one like building and validating a model, if you will, and then deriving some knowledge out of the model. I guess like once you figure out the model, then you can use it to figure things out. I guess is that is that somehow accurate? So so one thing you could do, and this is something that we did the math for before, is you could make a math model of how. Uh, sound waves or, or you know shock waves will propagate 
in in the earth. And then you you have some geophones set up in a grid and you pound the earth, shake the earth, whatever, and that will give you some measurement of all this stuff. So now you've got a mix of data at each of those points. That's the boundary condition that you're going to use to mathematically try to reconstruct the, the underlying underlying um, ground truth, essentially. Oh, and then you can is, map it out, is, basically, in three dimensions or yeah, something so, like that. Yeah, so, so what we did for a project in grad school um, is, is we had a bunch of geophones set up in a grid, and then we had a truck with a big pillar of iron that would, would ram the ground, and it would send a shock wave. And then we would take the, the way that each of those, those measurements was, was shaken by the shock wave and try to reconstruct the, the fault line. Yeah. Of the, and, and you could do the same type of modeling to try to find oil or diamonds or, or whatever. Yeah, you find that, that tunnel where in the center of the earth all the dinosaurs live and everything, right? If I remember, that would be a good finding. <laughs> or, yeah, where the Morlocks are. <laughs> Ooh, my so, favorite. So, there, so there, might be, there might be relatively small amount of data to seed some of these models, and then you're trying to reconstruct what the what the mathematics implies yeah. um, for the for the rest of the information. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. that's good. Yeah. That that makes sense. Yeah, my uh, my, my uh, geophysics modeling was more like trying to create a model to fit the, uh, too much data. <laughs> so I came at it from the other way, but uh, yeah, I mean, I so I never got to use like HPC tools. We were. I don't know, a lot simpler about the modeling. Um, yeah, but, for a, you, you were at UT though, weren't you? Didn't you to get a ge- geology degree at UT, and they they, they didn't let yeah, you uh, they didn't but, let but, you go but, use I, their I, fancy I, like stampede cluster or whatever. And all the no, physics no, people are a bunch I, of dickheads. <laughs> well, I was working for a state agent, a Texas state agency mm. that was doing modeling of the the coast, and that was not HPC. Yeah, so it was just. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe LPC, low performance computing. Is that... <laughs> well, I mean, it was slow. Yeah. Uh, That's what I specialize in now. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Let's print up some shirts. Yeah. yeah. That's what that's what Rails does. Hey. Oh. I did I did see, you know, doing the roundup of stuff we haven't talked about. I did see that that Mongo is filing for an IPO. I don't know what that means, but I think I think if you make I think the modern day equivalent of a Rails joke is a Mongo joke. So, I don't really know why, but I'll put that in there. But uh also <laughs> before before we get to recommendations, there there's there's some stuff we didn't cover about uh it looks like there's also rumors that Docker is raising some money and there's there's a pretty good um uh, that I would point you to a pretty good write-up of how ADP is using containers, um, moderated by by our mutual friend Alex Williams. It's a good. I love I love a good moderated screencast. I used to do a lot of those, but it's interesting to, I think, from whatever the technology choice is, to kind of hear the VP going over it, like how they thought through the process and how they were putting things in there. But it's it's a good little talk to check out. Um, and then also uh, there was a good another good chart. Microsoft announced, I think. Uh, earnings last week or sometime and someone had a, a fun chart over there on the in addition to axios nowadays very delightful geek wire i don't know what's gone on, going on over there but it's working out well and there's a good there's a good line chart of the revenue of the various divisions of microsoft and while cloud revenue is growing you know including SaaS by by uh, leaps and bounds it does show that office 
is still a pretty big fucking deal over there in Microsoft land. So uh, it's it's kind of amazing. And, and, you know, when you're in the infrastructure space, every now and then go look at Office and be like, holy crap, that uh, our buddy Javier is really like sitting high on the horse over there now from, uh, you know, back from the Hyperic days. It's quite a change. Anyhow, uh, so let's let's go into uh, the recommendations. How about we'll start with our guest this week. Andrew, what do you have to recommend for us? Well... <laughs> I'm, this is my go-to lately. I, I'm trying to get people to be able to have more uh, pointed discussions about SLOs, which requires that you know what that that acronym means and then have some sensible way to talk about it. So this is service-level objectives, which I've found most people have very little understanding or ability to discuss in, in their organization. And in order to help you, I recommend that you read the three chapters from the uh, – service reliability engineering book, the first three from the principles section, which is embracing risk, service level objectives, and eliminating toil. And that's uh, that's all pure gold. You can thank me later. Yeah, no, those are good. You know, I, despite having talked on this topic with you two or three times and read the book, I realize I need to go back and read the SLO part to make sure I uh, narrow it down and actually know about it. Because it does, I mean, to as I always do during recommendations, to hitch on my own thing, like... As I've been finishing out my uh, my uh, cloud native enterprise architect odyssey, it seems like the uh, metaphorically and literally, like a lot of the stuff in the SRE book, is a good uh, good answer for what enterprise architects should do. And and the the discussion around figuring out and establishing SLOs is uh, I don't know. It might just be a shorter word for governance, <laughs> but we'll see. Like well, I, said, I, gotta I go think the that. SREs the SREs are the Google equivalent of architects and and they do all the architecture and governance and the rest of that stuff exactly as much as as much as they do ops yep yeah. <laughs> I think I think that's I think that's the uh, the turns out Malcolm Gladwell conclusion that you get when you read the SRE thing it's like who knew new discovery ten thousand hours of looking through logs and you're set so uh, Matt Ray your recommendations this week uh, not not quite so. Uh... Uh, not quite so on topic, but uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's a uh, a blog post. Uh, I needed to uh, I needed to get Windows working on my Mac, and I didn't have space for a, uh, a bootcamp partition. And I found a, a very good blog post about how to install uh, Windows 10 on a USB stick of, with VirtualBox um, and get around some of the uh, the limitations they put in there and. You know, so if you need if you need uh, Windows on your Mac for you know running the occasional application, uh, probably a game. Um, you know, that's that's a nice thing to have in your your pocket. Um, yeah. If, if then, it, uh, I, I think I think for for most people who listen to this, if they need to run the real version of Excel, they might need to install a Windows <laughs> VM. Ah, uh, Excel Classic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's 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 my recommendation, and then. Uh, uh, there's a, a really good video of uh, uh, Radiohead has a song called Videotape, and uh, you know if you're a moderate fan of Radiohead, you should check it out because it uh, uncovers a lot of layers to that song uh, that I did not realize were there. Mm, the, an explainer. Is, yes, an explainer. I always like a good explainer about something I like. Yeah. So that's good. I'm always wondering why that Creep song is so different from everything else they did. But uh, maybe I can find a video on that. <laughs> That's because they didn't like it. Oh. Uh, uh. 
that that yeah. probably that probably so, explains why I was never a big Radiohead fan because I really like that song. But I guess if they didn't like it, we established our uh, what do you call that valence? Uh, the uh, how how we line up. Well, uh, as always, I have several recommendations. My first one is, uh, and I might have even talked about this before, but I want to reemphasize it: is if you cook some bacon, you should save the grease on a little mug next to the stove. And you can just use that for everything. I don't really know how long you can keep that, but my family is still alive. So it's really long. I think that's, that's, a, that's a good thing to look into. It makes your eggs delicious. You cook your sausage in there. It's good stuff. Yep. Also, so uh, if, if you happen to listen to one of the uh, John Roderick Constellation of Podcasts, there's this one he does with Dan Benjamin. And, and, and Dan there was telling the story of how he, uh, he was ordering a new pocket knife. And he ordered this one, like, Spyderco knife that was, like, $60.00. And he ended up getting a $150 pocket knife in return, like their top-of-the-line thing. So I thought, like, you know, I got some extra money. So I ordered that knife, and sure enough, I got the Fancy Pants knife. Uh, and, you know, so I don't know if that's still happening, if uh, the people in the warehouse have fixed that problem. But it's a good knife. This uh, It's got a terrible name. You know, it's the paramilitary something or another. Like, I don't need to be paramilitary. I just want a good pocket knife. But uh, I used it on camping this weekend, and it's a good, versatile, it's very sharp It'll, but it'll cut your hot dog buns and also let you spread butter, right? It's hard to find a knife that you can spread butter with and cut things up, but it's, it's a good one. And then finally, I've been putting together, I think I'm going to put together maybe like three or four presentations this week if I uh, do my job. And uh, I was reminded that when you're looking for clip art, there's this good uh, uh, women of color stock art site on Flickr. It's all like attribution and royalty free and all that kind of stuff. And it has all of your classic tropes of IT, like... I don't think there's any one of people pointing uh, at a glass whiteboard and you're looking at them in, in reverse, but there's definitely people pointing at whiteboards. And there's even some pictures of people kind of conflicting with each other, but it's a good place to go get uh, stock art. So it's not just, you know, you don't fill it up with a bunch of like pasty white boys with top knots in, in your slides. So, uh, you know, you should check that out. It's fun to page through. It'd be nice. They should update it, but they've still got like 10 pages of, uh, of pictures in there. So with that, this has been another Software Defined Talk episode. Thanks for being a guest co-host on Short Notice, Andrew. I think it was, it was Anytime. Nice. Absolutely. So again, if you want to get the show notes, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 103. You can find the RSS feed, links to our Slack channel to join. Unfortunately for Tasty Meets Paul, we're not in hangups. You got to join another Slack thing. I like to think of that as not my problem, that Slack hasn't solved SSO across organizations but whatever. But you should join us in there. You can see us discussing uh, uh, topics that we'll probably talk about next week and, and other things going on in there. And also, if you're interested in hearing more details about uh, what we think about white papers and talking about white papers and press releases and presentations kind of at a meta level, uh, sort of uh, sort of a uh, explainer, if you will, on them, you can become a patron of us by going to patreon.com slash SDT. And for as little as a dollar a month or more, if, if you, you know, are nice, you can uh, get access to that private podcast. We have four episodes there now. Uh, I was mentioning we have the Hype Cycle one we just talked about. There's uh, there's a good one where I go over, like, how I do a presentation and, and what's in it and all my goals and things like that. <laughs> my KPIs. Uh, and, and several other things. We'll have another one out next week. Um, and, you know, you should tell people about our show and help us get more listeners through all the usual means. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Angel, jump in.
My hopelessness doesn't stem from my joblessness or my illiteracy because neither of those are my problem. My hopelessness comes from the fact that this man who we warned America about throughout the 2016 election won, and he won on the backs of Mexican people who he called drug dealers and rapists. He won on the backs of the Central Park Five who he called for the death penalty for. He won on the And they're exonerated of- later. I, that's And that's not even my point. My point is that this man who built his career, his professional life on bigotry and racism was the same person he was as a professional in New York as he was a candidate. And we should not be surprised. And all I can tell the American people is we told you so. My hopelessness comes from the fact that he is a bigot. My hopelessness comes from the fact that his rhetoric is rooted in white supremacy. My hopelessness comes from the fact that this is a violent day and age. And Charlottesville, we told you too. We told you in Baltimore. We told you in Ferguson. We told you in St. Paul. We have been telling you this. This is a problem. It is a code red. It is time for the American people, regardless of your race or your gender, your religion, your ethnicity, or whatever else, to wake up. This is a huge problem. Angela, what do you think of people like uh, House Speaker Paul Ryan and some other Republicans who have come out and they've kind of distanced themselves from what President Trump has been saying, but to many, not nearly strongly enough. I'll say this. You can't kind you in with history is is not kind to people who are lukewarm. History is not kind to those who kind of stood up against slavery. History is not kind of t- to those who kind of stood up against the Holocaust. You have to be black or white on this issue, and no pun intended here, because I think you could be black or white regardless of your race. But it is time for us to call it what it is. This is a problem. It is violent, hateful speech, and that is where we are. And this president is not a leader. He has demonstrated his inability to 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 tone things down. That is why Barack Obama is still, you know, the person folks are looking to even on social media for answers, because this man is doing the very opposite of what we would expect a commander in chief to do in these in these times. 